today. Now the choir is going to sing a beautiful song for us.
is perfect. There is no other that's perfect. Let's lift our eyes and our strength to the Lord. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can carry on. Raised in His power, the weak be. 
God bless you, Ed, and thank you so much for leading us. I want us to join together and express our appreciation to our brother Ed Miller for leading us in worship today. Appreciate him being here so very much. Also, before I say anything else, I want to offer my personal appreciation to Mike and Cindy McCary. Um, they lovingly have placed these flowers today in honor of Pastor Appreciation Month, and it's a great encouragement to me. So, Cindy, thank you to you, and I, I guess Mike is out doing safety team duty, and so we appreciate that very much. Well, good morning again to you. I'm so glad that you're in worship today, and I'm extremely excited that we have the privilege of being able to continue in our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark If you have not been with us, we've titled this series, The Remarkable Life of Jesus. And Mark is an incredible book. It tells us about the life of Christ, the actions that he took, the many things that he did. And today is the seventh sermon in this series. And let me say this, if you haven't been with us... Um, it's not too late to go back and watch those previous six. You can go online to our church's website, Facebook, YouTube, any of those options, and you can get caught up to speed as we have begun to study this incredible account of the life of Christ given to us by the Apostle Peter. Now, the title of today's message is How to Faith the Storms of Life. Now, that's not a typo, and yes, you heard it absolutely right. I didn't say how to face, but how to faith the storms of life. And we all face storms, but this sermon is different than that. We're really talking about our ability to faith the storms that come to us in this life. And to get us to thinking in the right way, I want us to start thinking about how hard it would be to be a weather forecaster. You know, I've said for many years, it's the only job that you can be wrong pretty much 90% of the time, and you just keep your job, and nobody says anything negatively about you. And so it would be one of the hardest jobs there is to be a weather forecaster. So I've got a story to go along with that as we begin. There was a Native American chief on this remote reservation in South Dakota, and his tribe had come to him and asked him if it was going to be a cold winter. Well, he did not want them to know that he could not predict the weather, so he sneaked off and he called the National Weather Service. And he asked them, hey, is this going to be a cold winter? And they said, sir, we are fairly certain it's going to be a cold winter. So the chief goes back to his tribe and he tells them to start collecting firewood because it was going to be a cold winter. 
Well, a few weeks later, he began to doubt the forecast, so he goes back and he calls the forecaster again, and this time the forecaster says this. He says, we are now more certain than ever that it's going to be a very cold winter. So the chief goes back to his tribe, and he tells the tribe to collect even more firewood. Well, a few weeks later, yes, the chief once again is doubting the forecast, so he calls the forecaster one last time to update the forecast, and the forecaster says, we are now certain that this will be one of the coldest winters we've ever had. And the chief says, how can you be so sure? And he said, well, the Indians are collecting firewood like crazy. And so it is, right? Today we're going to be talking about a storm that comes to the disciples of Jesus Christ as they plan to cross the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me tell you a couple details about the Sea of Galilee. Several of us in the room have had the privilege to actually sail on a boat there on the Sea of Galilee. But here's what you need to know. The Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. It's not seawater or saltwater at all. It sets at 600 feet below sea level, making it the lowest lake in the world. It's about 14 miles long, about 7 miles wide. It's shaped like a harp, and it should have taken the disciples about three hours to sail or row across the lake. So Jesus and his disciples started out on a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless Lord, the disciples would be lost. Now, folks, if you don't get that, you miss one of the great TV shows in American history, right? Take your Bibles today and go with me to Mark chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand together as we read God's Word today. Um, I cannot wait for the reaction in the second service as I give them a little Gilligan's Island. It's going to be really fun to see if anybody gets it. But Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 35 through verse 41. Thank you for standing in honor of, of the reading of God's word today. Let's read this story of Jesus calming the storm. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet. Or hush, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Today, my prayer for us throughout the week has been that we will recognize that we can faith the storms of life if we have Jesus Christ with us. God bless you, church family. Be seated. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to introduce to you one of my favorite paintings It is a painting done by the Dutch master, Rembrandt van Rijn. It was painted in 1632. Let's go ahead and get it on the screen. 
Uh, this painting that you see before you today was displayed for many years in an art museum in Boston until it was stolen back in the year 1990. Now, let me just say this to you. If you see this painting laying around or hanging around at some garage sale, call the FBI because there's a $5 million reward for the finding of this painting. Now, this painting is so interesting because if you were able to see it more closely, and I want you to go look it up, it's called A Storm on the Sea of Galilee by Rembrandt Van Ryn. Uh, when, if you were to look at it more closely, you would see that there are 13 disciples in the boat. Now, why are there 13 disciples? Because Rembrandt painted himself into the scene. Now, the, the reason I want to bring this painting to mind is because this painting reveals to us a lot about this sermon. You see, the painting shows that there were some disciples who were fighting against the storm. Uh, Their focus was on the storm. And then the painting also shows there were disciples who were gathered around Jesus. You see, their focus was not on the storm, but on the Savior. And the painting begs the question today, when you face the storms of your life, And we're all going to face storms. We've all faced storms. When you face the storms of your life, do you fearfully focus on the storm or do you faithfully focus on Jesus? Today, there are five lessons that I want to bring to mind as we talk about faithing the storms of our lives. And here's the very first lesson today, and we all need to remember this, that you can be close to Jesus and still encounter storms. You see, Jesus knew when he said, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that they were going to encounter a storm. And sometimes people who know and love the Lord think that we ought to be exempt from the stormy experiences of life. As a pastor, I've heard people actually say this. Pastor, I don't understand that I came to know Christ and I still face these issues. You see, some make the mistake of thinking that just because they have the Lord in their life now, that they're going to be immune to trouble, that they're going to be immune to tribulation, immune to problems. But we have to recognize and remember that even though Jesus is in this boat, that the storm still struck. You see, the same is true for us. Physical storms, financial storms, relational storms, marital storms, emotional storms, they strike us seemingly with no warning. And if you're facing a storm, and many of you would say today, I am facing a storm. Let me say this. You shouldn't be surprised. It shouldn't come as a shock to you. The Bible says this, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. If you suffer as a Christian, the text says, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Storms come at us wave after wave after wave. It reminds me of a guy on a ranch. I don't know if you've heard the story. He was being chased by a bull, and he saw this hole in the ground, and it was the only way out, so he jumped into the hole. Well, the bull ran by, and then the guy jumped back up out of the hole. The bull turns around and comes at him again. The guy jumps back into the hole. The bull passes. He jumps back out, and this happened over and over and over, repeated for several cycles, and somebody was watching this whole charade, and he says, Man, why don't you just stay down in the hole? And the guy says, hey, there's a rattlesnake in the hole, right? 
And that's kind of the way life feels. It's not really all that far-fetched. We jump out of one problem into another. Life can be tough. Christians aren't immune. All of us encounter storms. The first lesson, I think, in this passage is you can be close to Jesus Christ and still experience storms. How many of you have found that to be true? Let me give you the second lesson. The second lesson in this story is Jesus permits storms to test our faith. You see, as soon as the disciples awoke Jesus, he immediately asked them two questions. Did you see the questions? Why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? And if you read between the lines, it's not hard to see that Jesus was giving them a test. Will they trust him during the storm? And I submit to you today that God still does this. God absolutely still does this. He tests our faith during the difficult times of life when living is hard. Let's talk about three ways that God tests our faith. I want you to write these down for yourselves today because this is exactly the way God does it, at least three of the ways. The first I'm going to call the pressure test. Now, now this faith test has these questions. How will you handle stress when you're at your absolute limit? How do you react when you get to the POTD? You know what that means? The point of total desperation. How will you react when you get to the POTD? Like a pressure cooker building up heat and pressure, will you explode in anger? Will you keep the lid on and trust God until the heat finally dies down? That's the pressure test. How are you going to respond when you're at your absolute limit? The second way I think that God tests our faith is this, the people test. Now, we know this one well. This one makes sense, right? Sometimes God puts people in our life that will stretch our faith. Uh, These are the people that rub you the wrong way. They find that one nerve that you've got left exposed and they grind all over it, right? They're, They're hard for you to love. But hey, you admit that Jesus loves them too. So how do you handle that test? Do you strike out at them or do you patiently love them? The pressure test, the people test. The third one is the persistence test. Now, now this test asks the question, will I main my, will I maintain my commitments or will I just quit? You see, I think in every endeavor of life, especially in our spiritual endeavors, especially in the church, I find there'll always be a time that you just want to give up. And a weak person gives up too soon. But a wise person persists to the end of every commitment, and God rewards those who persist and pass the perseverance or the persistence test. And so we have three tests, right? The lesson is this, that Jesus permits storms to test our faith, and he tests us with the pressure test, the people test, the persistence test. Let me give you the third lesson in this passage. The third one is this, that storms force us... To cry out to Jesus. Several of these disciples, we know this, right? They were fishermen. What's that tell us about them? They had spent a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee. These guys were boatsmen, if you will. They understood what it was like to maintain a boat. So here's what I know. I know they tried everything humanly possible to battle this storm. 
They trimmed the sails. They pointed the bow of that boat into the wind. They bailed water. They did all the things that they knew to do, but it soon became apparent that their resources weren't enough. So it was then in their weakness, right, that they cried out to Jesus. And when they woke Jesus, they asked him in most interesting of questions. What they say? Don't you care if we drown? Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that just like a human being, right? When we're in a storm, our mind rushes to the worst case scenario. They didn't say, Jesus, did you know there's a storm? They actually go all the way, right? Don't you care if we drown? Worst case scenario. And I think we do the same things. Don't you care that I'm going through this rough time? And we might even trump it up a bit. Don't you care that I'm about to die here? We say that. Don't you care? Have you ever asked God that probing question? God, don't you care? I find a lot of people walk away from Jesus because they have lost the perception and and, and, and entered into their mind this false perception that Jesus simply doesn't care, that God doesn't care. But I stand here today to remind all of you in this room, those of you watching online, listen to me. God does care. The book of 1 Peter tells us so clearly in chapter 5 verse 7, cast all your cares upon the Lord. Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. You see, today you may be going through one of these desperate moments. And you're at the POTD, the point of total desperation, right? You may be wondering, what should I do? And my advice to you is very simple. In this storm that you're facing, cry out to Jesus Christ. You know, one of my favorite songs, and 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 it's hovered and been around for a while, but I always find myself coming back to it. It's a great song by Third Day titled, Cry Out to Jesus. And if you don't know the song, you ought to go look it up and listen to it. I'm just going to share some of the lyrics. It says, to everyone who's lost someone they love long before it was their time. You feel like the days you had were not enough when you said goodbye. And to all the people with burdens and pain keeping you back from your life, you believe that there's nothing and there's no one who can make it right. There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken heart. There's grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. It says, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Folks, storms, it's a lesson in this story. Storms will force you to cry out to Jesus Christ. Let me give you the fourth lesson. The fourth lesson is interesting. It's Jesus will either calm your storm... Or he'll calm you in the middle of it. Jesus will either calm your storm or he will actually calm you. And I love the fact that Jesus is snoozing during the storm. And it's one of the most interesting things of this story. It it tells me, first of all, that Jesus was a human like me. He got tired. He needed a little bit of rest. He needed to take a little nap as he crossed over the lake. But the second thing, it shows me that Jesus had a strong sense of tranquility that allowed him to sleep even through his storms. 
You see, there were two storms present on this night. I'm not sure if you've thought about it. There was the weather storm, the wind and the waves that were about to swamp the boat. But second, there was also a storm in the hearts of those disciples. And here's what we learn in this, that fear can be more destructive than even a hurricane. Fear can do even more damage than the storms that surround us. Let me tell you a story that Paul Harvey told years ago. It was about a chicken farmer in the state of Tennessee who suspected that an old fox was raiding his hen house at night. He was losing eggs, he was losing hens, and so one night he had had enough, so he put a loaded shotgun right next to his bed. We heard this ruckus out in the hen house, right? So he slipped outside in the middle of the night, couldn't see a single thing, and as he approached that dark hen house, fear began to set in. He began to wonder, what if the fox attacks me, right? What if it's not even a fox? What if it's a bobcat? What if it's a cougar? And as he stood there at the doorway to the hen house, these thoughts of fear were swirling through his mind. He was finding himself getting more and more afraid. And it was at that precise moment that his faithful hound dog, Blue, crept up behind him and cold-nosed him under his nightshirt. Well, immediately upon doing that, kablam! He fires off the shotgun. Nine hens lost their lives that night. And Paul Harvey used to say, it wasn't the shotgun that killed them, it was what? Fear. (laughs) So Jesus asked the question, why are you afraid? And he spoke to the wind and the waves. And you heard me change the language earlier when I read the text. He said, hush, be still. That's literally the word used in the Greek text. It's the same phrase that a kind mother will say to their crying child, Hush, little baby. Settle down. And the Bible says in that moment, and this is the miracle, correct? In that moment, it was completely calm. There was great calm. The word in your text, it uses the word mega. There was mega calm. Now that's amazing, isn't it? From wind and waves about to swamp the boat, the disciples doing everything they could in their understanding of the sea and the water, crying out to Jesus, begging him for care in the midst of this moment that might make them drown. And then the storm's gone. Hush. Jesus took the storm away. Jesus can do that for you, too. Sometimes he takes the storms away. But not always, right? You see, there's another side to that coin. Sometimes he doesn't remove the storm. He just speaks to our troubled hearts. And to us, he says, hush, be still. And in our hearts, what's he bring us? Mega calm. Peace that passes understanding. And some of you today have been asking God to take this storm away. And he hasn't done it yet. But you know what? He's ready to offer you peace that only he can give in the midst of your storm. The final lesson today is the most powerful one to me. 
The fourth lesson, Jesus will either calm your storm or calm you. The fifth lesson is if Jesus is in your boat, you know you're going to make it through this storm. Now this week, all of us, I would assume, have had our eye on the state of Florida. And all that's transpired there with Hurricane Ian. But I'm going to submit to you today something you won't expect me to say. The strongest hurricane in history could not have sunk the boat that Jesus Christ was on on the Sea of Galilee. All of all of Caesar's armies and navies could not have brought it down. The devil himself could not have sunk it. Why? Because Jesus had declared at the beginning of our passage that he was going to sail to the other side and nothing, friend, was going to stop that. And here's why I get so excited, because in the same way, Jesus has also promised his followers that we will make it through every storm. He didn't say that we would have a storm-proof life. He just promised to be with us in the midst of that storm. He guarantees us that we're going to make it. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than outside a storm without Jesus. Amen? You see, Jesus never promises us a smooth ride. But he guarantees us a definite destination. If you know Jesus Christ, friend, you're going to make it through. That fifth, that fifth lesson is powerful. So now let's, let's carry it to the end. The greatest maritime disaster in all of history. We know this. The sinking of the Titanic on April the 15th, 1912. And all of those who knew about such things said it was the unsinkable ship. And yet, even though they said that, that's all she really ever did was sink, right? History tells us that the crew members actually said out loud to the passengers getting on that day, God himself cannot even sink this ship. That's a true story. It was a tragic story, though. And the most tragic of all the stories was there was not enough lifeboats and over 1,500 people perished. But there's a part of this story I want to share with you today that maybe you've never heard. The Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland, Northern Ireland. And after the news broke about the tragic sinking of the great and mighty Titanic, all the people of Belfast took to the streets to weep and mourn. The ship sank on a Monday, and that following Sunday in the Derry Presbyterian Church, there was great sadness because 16 men who were members of that church worked and sailed on the Titanic as engineers, and they drowned in the icy waters of the North Atlantic, all 16. And the church was packed that Sunday. The pastor's name was Andrew Smith. Pastor Smith stood up in the pulpit that day to preach on the exact text that you and I studied this morning. The very same story. And history says at the end of the message, he made these statements to his grieving congregation. He said, friends, there was only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable. That little boat occupied by the sleeping Savior. And then he added, and the only hearts that can weather the storms of life are the hearts that have Jesus inside. Did you notice the last things the disciples asked? 
Do you see the little tag on the end of this story? They said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, that's a pretty important question for you to answer for yourself. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Well, to close out, let me tell you. He's Jesus, God's son, and you can trust him. I wish I could more accurately describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they certainly couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't fault him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't conquer him, and the grave couldn't hold him. My friends, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the God of the future and he's the God of the past and there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Friends, his name is Jesus Christ.